listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and this is Pain.tv slash gold. One other thing I'll add to that, folks. I think it was when we were reading about eugenics. And they were talking about, I, I think the term they used was like negative eugenics and positive eugenics. Well, I have to look at that again. It's just slipping my mind. And one was basically uh, trying to breed what they seem to be better humans, the fit humans, and that would be sort of the positive eugenics, and then basically sterilizing or killing the unfit folks, the ones they deem to be unfit, which would be like a negative eugenics. So start to think of solutions in a positive and negative sense. So positive would be, for instance, learning a skill like gunsmithing that you could use in an off-the-grid half-Amish community. And then think about the negative is the stuff you could start to remove from your life, the things you could start to get rid of that you don't need that feed the technocracy, like Amazon ring cameras, Fitbits, iWatch. Watches, uh, 10 uh, smart TVs in your house, the BMW payment, stuff like that. Start to think about the things you can eliminate, all the money you'd be able to save, and all the smart tech you're not inviting into your life that's helping build the AI and helping build the technocracy, as Elon Musk and others in that world will admit to, that every interaction we have with the Internet of Things, the Internet of Bodies, smart technology, we are actually helping them build the super intelligent you know, artificial intelligence. So think about it in those terms. Start to make lists of things you can actually remove. I've talked about various smart objects and how these guys sell you perceived convenience, but you're actually trading your own freedom, liberty, and human autonomy for these things. So really think about that stuff, folks. You say to yourself, I'm driving around in a brand new car. It's got a GPS built into it, computers. I'm tied to having to bring it to the dealership to get two up um, they're tracking me everywhere I go and you say listen if I got rid of this new car and I bought an older car in really good shape from one owner maybe an old person that owned it and they only put 30,000 miles on the thing over 10 years they're out there folks and you say I bought that in cash for five ten fifteen thousand dollars even and then I don't have this car payment I don't have that debt and I'm not tied to these uh, folks. I can take this and go register it through Dirt Legal or something in South Dakota, and I'm pretty much off the grid with my car. Those are the things you can think about. These are real solutions. There's no other solutions than these real ones, okay? Because any fiction that you have running through your head that there's going to be a massive January 6th and that we're going to overthrow, you know, the Washington, D.C. politician, WWE wrestler puppets, and some somehow restore America, which nobody even knows what that means. We focused on that over the last 10 episodes in the show. We are not America from the founding. So you'd have to actually sit there and say, well, I want to restore it back to 1950. Okay, so you want the New Deal in place? Because that was in place. You want the Social Security number in place? Because that was in place. Or we want to bring it back to 1920. Okay, so you want the Federal Reserve in place? All right, well, Dustin, we want 
want to bring it back to 1900. Okay, well, you had civil war before that centralizing power. So you have to be realistic about what you're trying to restore. And going to Washington on horseback with pitchforks, shovels, and shotguns really isn't going to accomplish anything because no one has a plan. Like, if we can't come up with a plan together on how to get 100 families to figure out how we can throw in $100,000, $200,000 each and build a half-Amish community with this sustainable farm, everyone owns a slice of property in this development, and then maybe on the other side of the development, there's a big shared work center with the internet, and that's where we go live inside the matrix and do our work to make our CBDC tokens or our food coupons or fiat money. If we can't come up with that and figure out how to build that with 100 families, how the hell do you think you're going to overthrow a country of 370 million people and restore it back to something that you can't even define? You don't even know what it looks like. Because if you really want to restore it, thousands upon thousands of laws and regulations and institutions and uh, cultural changes and everything would just have to be eliminated. You'd only be able to do that by going back in a time machine. There's no way to do it. The only way to go back in a time machine is to actually break away from the rest of this system and to build your own community. Now, yes, you're still going to have to deal with federal laws and state laws and local laws because you're not living outside the country, but you can build a system that allows you a lot more security in your day-to-day life. You can do that. You know, we could build an old schoolhouse there and all the kids in that community could be homeschooled, you know, and don't have to be part of the public education system. These are real solutions. But again, if you can't do that, you're not going to organize an armed revolution and go into Washington, D.C. And that wouldn't even do you any good because you'd also have to go and take out Huntsville, Alabama. You'd have to take out Silicon Valley. You'd have to take out Hollywood. I mean, there's so many major institutions that have changed the culture in this country that even if you did that, it would actually not accomplish anything. So I think it's a waste of time to talk about stuff like that. And there's people out there who want to provoke podcast hosts, researchers, independent journalists into talking about that stuff, which is only going to get them in trouble. It's only going to make the government come knock on their door and in the end it's not worth that trouble because it actually won't accomplish anything if you can't get people to do what wide awake jim has been saying which is take your money out of these big uh federal government attached banks and move them into the last of the small private banks and get out of these fdic back connected banks If you can't get people to do that, you're not going to get people to uh, lay down their uh, blood, you know, to go charge into Washington, D.C. And now that we're talking about banks, let me segue into this, folks, because I'm going to move away from solutions. We have to get back to the history of eugenics, and we're going to talk about this over the next couple of episodes. I just want to introduce you to a character tonight. Maria Albanese is doing some work on this gentleman, because what we're starting to see here, folks, and what I'm starting to see as I lay this out, It's kind of like doing a, a floor plan, and you have several pieces of tracing paper, and so you draw the floor plan, and then 
um, you draw sort of the outline of the room or the house, and then you want to overlay uh, a piece of tracing paper that shows where you're putting all the furniture, and then you overlay on top of that where you're putting, I don't know, your smart TVs, and then you keep building layer after layer after layer. And so I'm starting to see this overlap of the origins of technocracy, the origins of eugenics, uh, coming together with Franklin Roosevelt, uh, his brain trust that developed the New Deal, and then we've got the Federal Reserve, quite interesting, started in 1913. At the time that was going on, eugenics was there. The early ideas of technocracy were beginning to form, and so I'm seeing the Fed and transhumanism or eugenics and technocracy all kind of coming together, and behind each of these was also socialism, communism, progressivism, Marxism, eventually fascism. And so then we see these elements of technocracy being introduced under the New Deal. The New Deal comes from what? The problem of the Great Depression. Where did the problem of the Great Depression come on? In part from the Federal Reserve raising interest rates to try to lower the price of stocks, right? We're part of the reason why the Great Depression happened. So you had the Federal Reserve orchestrating the Great Depression, which then led to the introduction of the New Deal, which had all of these elements of technocracy embedded inside of it. And both the New Deal and technocracy were formed under Columbia University. See, all this stuff ties together. And then we have these characters like uh, Rexford Guy Tugwell. We have uh, Thorstein Veblen, Howard Scott, Scott Nearing, uh, Simon Patton. And then this guy right here, Frank Vanderlip. So let me just introduce you to him. This is Frank Vanderlip. And his full name, Frank Arthur Vanderlip Sr., and he was born in 1917, uh, I'm sorry, November 17th, 1864, and he died on June 30th, 1937. And he was an American banker and journalist. He was president of the National City Bank of New York, which is now Citibank. Uh, from 1909 to 1919, and Assistant Secretary of the Treasury from 1897 to 1901. Vanderlip is known for his part in founding the Federal Reserve System and for founding the first Montessori school in the United States, the Scarborough School, and the group of communities in Palos Verdes, California. He was born in rural Illinois. Vanderlip worked in farms and factories until beginning a career in journalism in 1885. His efforts in financial journalism led him to become Assistant Secretary of the Treasury until National City Bank hired him. While president of the bank, Vanderlip worked with the Jekyll Island Group to develop a Federal Reserve. Vanderbilt's later proposals also influenced the creation of the Federal Reserve System in 1913. So, Maria Albanese has been doing a lot of research into Jekyll Island, and so we'll be talking about that soon. Vanderlip's uh, later life was focused towards developing Palos Verdes and creating the Scarborough School at his estate, Beechwood, in Briarcliff Manor, New York, as well as gentrifying the hamlet of Sparta 
ocening thereby. In addition, he helped found and was the first president of Sleepy Hollow Country Club. Vanderlip died in 1937 in New York Hospital after weeks of treatment there. So you ask, ask me, well, why are we talking about this guy, Frank Vanderlip? And I'm going to show you where he came up in our research because we're going to be covering him throughout the next few shows. He's another character I'm introducing to you. He comes out of the banking side of all this. Remember now, we're seeing the eugenicists tied to the economy side. They're the economist. You have the technocrats coming from the scientists and engineers, but their ideas overlap. The eugenicists believe we need to social, uh, socially engineer, genetically engineer the humans, and then the technocrats believe we need total control over society, and we'll do that through mass social engineering. And then you're going to have the bankers behind the plan, because every plan needs to be funded, folks. You don't think that Howard Scott was sitting there writing thousands of pages of documents on the origins of technocracy all by himself. What do you think? He was picking quarters out of his couch cushions and funding the technocracy movement? No. These guys got funding somewhere. So let me introduce you to Frank Vanderlip when we get back. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome. To the Dustin Gold Standard, you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Folks, feel free to leave us a five-star review over at Apple Podcasts and a comment. We really appreciate that. If you folks like to donate to the show, you can do so at donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. And if you want me to use that to buy new equipment or to keep the lights on here or to put food on my table... Or to put it in an account for my son, just leave a comment and I will do that, folks. You have to trust me. I'm transparent on all this stuff. I'm not using it to buy methamphetamine or anything like that, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Um, I want to show you something that we came across. So we start doing research on Frank uh, Vanderlip because we were deep into Howard Scott, the founder of Technocracy Incorporated. And so we come across the Time.com. It's Time Magazine, these old archives. And so from Monday, April 17th, 1933, we find this piece here. It says, Frank Arthur Vanderlip was once president of Manhattan's National City Bank. Again, that's 1909 to 1919. And like the two presidents who succeeded him, James Alexander Stillman and Charles Edwin Mitchell, he is no stranger to headline writers. In January 1931, he made headlines with the assertion that the 1,000 bank failures of 1930 was caused by a lack of, quote, adult education for bankers, end quote, that the Depression was a, quote, strange and stupid spectacle, end quote. In February 1931, he had his picture taken with a rare species of crane in his private aviary in the Palos Verdes Hills near Los Angeles. In February 1931, 
on the day that Auburn stock touched 205 after a rise over 100 points in six weeks, he said, quote, the last Auburn stock I bought was at 105. I am a large owner and have been for a long time. My position has been and is only that of a darn longtime investor. That was last week. Auburn sold around 34 says in December 1931, he predicted, quote, we will see a greater prosperity than anything we have ever seen yet, end quote. In 1932, he became an ardent backer of Howard Scott and technocracy, which made a thousand headlines. His name also helped architect Buckminster Fuller publicize the visionary uh, Dimaxium House. In nine, so there you go, Howard Scott and technocracy, right? He became an ardent backer of Howard Scott. Now, I tie this guy, Vanderlip, back to technocracy way earlier than 1932, which we're going to get into on another show. But I just want to give you a little more on him. It says in June 1932, he told the graduating class at Scarborough School, um, a Scarborough on Hudson near his home, that history was not properly taught. He had a right to do so. A year later, he presented the school with a deed of gift to the school building and property. In 1932, he rushed in as a master of Eret Loban Cord's proxy fight to gain control of Aviation Corps. You know, so this guy has done all types of things, right? So we go further into the Time Archive and we pull up an earlier article. And this is from Monday, December 26th, 1932. And what we find here, folks, is, uh, let me see. It says, just when the country was most despairing of being run by an engineer in the White House, there emerged in New York a movement, a new ism, to have the country run by all its 300,000 engineers and technical experts. Technocracy was the new ism's name, and its proponents styled themselves technocrats headquartered at Columbia University. They announced that employing three dozen unemployed engineers, architects, and draftsmen, they were conducting an, quote, energy survey of America, end quote. I taught you about that. That's when they went out and figured out how much energy it takes to basically produce everything in the entire country, all the goods, all the services. Startling was their array of statements about technological unemployment, mankind's machines, destroying mankind's chance to earn a living, quote, under the present price system, end quote. As preliminary fireworks, they expounded such statistics as these. Now, remember, Technocracy Inc. at the time was talking about ending the price system. The price system is capitalism, all right? And they want to replace it with an energy certificate system. And so for those of you who missed the discussions on this, I'll just sum it up for you. They went out and they figured out how much energy it takes to produce all the goods and services in. They wanted to basically create the Technate, which is a new country going from the Panama Canal all the way up to the North Pole, essentially. And so... Then they were going to take all that energy and then equally divide it up. So each person between the age of 25 and 45, they would call the working age, was going to get, say, 20,000 energy certificates. It would be equal. Everyone gets the same thing. People over 45 get a little bit less. People under 25 get less. But everyone pretty much gets this equal allotment. So instead of spending cash, you're trading in energy certificates, the amount of energy you're consuming 
consuming, which later has become carbon credits, which will be part of the central bank digital currency. And so this guy, Howard Scott and Technocracy Incorporated, are out there talking against the price system, against capitalism. But who is one of their most ardent supporters? It's Frank Vanderlip, who helped create the Federal Reserve System. He's a banker. So the bankers are behind the idea of ending capitalism, although you will have propagandists generally from the left in the last 30 years in this country telling you that the bankers are the evil capitalists, when in fact the bankers, the biggest bankers ever, the people behind the Federal Reserve here in this country, were actually behind the ideas of technocracy, the science of social engineering, the total control, the systematic control of the production of goods and services and the distribution of such also tied into the eugenics movement which was the engineering of humans basically creating these super breed humans and then erasing the unfit humans eliminating them from the gene pool so the bankers now you have showing up behind this but you can find bankers behind almost every major movement in the history of our entire country if not every one, you would have bankers, let's just say in the categories we're talking about, you can show the bankers behind socialism, communism, Marxism, progressivism, fascism, conservatism, liberalism. You can find the bankers behind all of the isms. So it is a WWE wrestling match, but I told you the top 1% are interested in power and control. So follow the power and control. If you want to follow the money, you can then see how they get the whole system to run, how they socially engineer people into adopting the system actually helping build the system with total control they do that through bribery all the way down to what we would call a paycheck and that's how they get the regular folks get us to be part of actually helping them build the system so let's just look at this list of four things it said total capacity of u.s industrial equipment is one billion horsepower which does the work of 10 billion men or five times the earth's total population on the basis of a uh, 1,830 methods, 6 million men would have been needed to cultivate the soil for the 1929. Oh, I'm sorry, folks, I read that wrong. It says on the basis of 1830, the year methods, okay, 16 million men would have been needed to cultivate the soil for the 1929 United States wheat crop. With the best existing equipment, 4,000 men could have planted the whole crop. If every structure on Manhattan Island were destroyed and the entire community rebuilt with the latest inventions, the reconstruction would pay for itself in 20 years. A new machine for making light bulbs produces 442 bulbs a minute, replaces 10,000 men. Such statistics are not new. The late Thorstein Veblen, all right, we've talked about him before. He helped inspire Howard Scott and Rexford Guy Tugwell who was the man behind FDR's brain trust that created the New Deal. So the late Thorstein Veblen recited similarly as early as 1921 when he published The Engineers and the Price System Economist. Stuart Chase, Veblen's friend, has been writing similarly since. But last summer, a tall, middle-aged man named Howard Scott with a wide-brimmed hat and a prodigiously rapid, sharp agile tongue was being received and handed around by alert tycoons notably banker frank arthur vanderlip 
from one drawing room and dinner to another he moved everywhere causing gasps of amazement scowls of worry questions of deep and inquiring respect so now you have vanderlip here who's actually bringing howard scott around and introducing him to folks and so i found more information actually backing this up that we're going to get into again in future shows but i want to use tonight because it's saturday to introduce you to frank vanderlip all right and so if you go back to the wikipedia page you can go through his entire career he was highly influential involved with a lot of different projects the most important of which and i'm going to read this to you because i think you need to understand um, what this guy was doing here it says when the stock market and the financial system collapsed in the panic of 1907. Vanderlip worked closely with other stable bankers led by J.P. Morgan to stop the depositors run on banks that was leading to economic disaster. So what's that doing? The panic comes. You and I run down to the bank to try to get our money out. And this guy's trying to stop us from getting our money. As part of an international economic relief response for the Panic of 1907, Vanderlip allied with top Japanese business leaders, hoping they could work together to stabilize the U.S. economy by increasing business and financial relations between their nations. He hoped this would also improve political relations between the U.S. and Japan. Based on these goals, in 1908, Vanderlip led a business U.S. delegation to Japan, where they met with Japanese business leaders, including Baron Shibusawa Elichi, Baron Shibusawa's son, Shibusawa Masao, Baron Takumadan Takakawada, and Baron Takimi Mitsu. Now, folks, I'm a quarter Japanese. My grandmother, my late grandmother, is from Japan. But no, I cannot pronounce these names. It goes on to say, this 1908 visit was the first official modern-day U.S. business delegation to visit Japan. The 1908 photo to the right uh, presents Vanderlip during the 1908 visit. So there's a photo of him. It says, the panic of 1907 had a deep effect on the thinking of Vanderlip and others who were involved. In November 10, uh, I'm sorry, November 1910, at the invitation of Senator Nelson Aldrich, Vanderlip joined a small group of leading bankers on a train to Jekyll Island, Georgia, which later became known as the Jekyll Island Group. The bankers formulated the outline to a plan that laid the groundwork for the drafting of the eventual Federal Reserve Act. In the final month and a half before the act's enactment on December uh, for the drafting uh, on December 23, 1913, Vanderlip's alternative plan for a Federal Reserve Act nearly derailed the one that President Wilson and the Democrat leadership were promoting. Several of Vanderlip's ideas were incorporated into the final Federal Reserve Act. So we're going to actually start to go through some of this stuff in future shows because it's very important. This guy Vanderlip, who then becomes sort of this money guy behind technocracy, was in the founding of the Federal Reserve at the same time eugenics and everything else was building out of the movement of economist goes on to say after the federal reserve act allowed national banks worth more than one million dollars to be involved in the international market vanderlip and his vice president at national city bank roger leslie farnham plotted the takeover of the bank of the republic of haiti through the united states occupation of haiti with initial plans beginning in 1909 vanderlip wrote to chairman of national city bank james stillman in 1910 quote in the future this stock will give 
us a foothold in Haiti, and I think we will perhaps later undertake the reorganization of the government's currency system, which I believe I see my way clear to do with the practicality, no monetary risk. Uh, To do with practically no monetary risk. During the Teapot Dome scandal hearings in 1924, Vanderlip testified about what he believed to be a scandal during the administration of President Warren G. Harding because he spoke out vigorously in defense of the public's right to know about various issues. Vanderlip was forced to resign from the boards of directors of almost 40 companies. He subsequently led a uh, quieter life at his homes in New York and California. After two weeks hospitalization in New York Hospital, Vanderlip died there on June 30th, 1937 at age 72. So anyway, you can see this guy is involved in some pretty dirty stuff there, taking over Haiti, wanted to take over the monetary system. So this guy is going to turn out to be very instrumental in our research into technocracy and into eugenics. So this is how we're going to start to bring the banks into this, folks. Federal Reserve, major change in this country, 1913, and has not gone away since. You know, they created an entire uh, money system that just drives us into debt and pile debt on top of our children. Frankly, in my eyes, it means absolutely nothing, but because the majority of people have faith in the system, then the debt on my child, on your child, on our future great-great-great-great-children is real because reality is only perception. And if people perceive that to be the reality, that is the reality. So they've created debt slaves out of all of us. That's just one tiny part in this entire system, but they're going to start to offer us alternatives to get out of it. And part of it is going to be universal basic income it's going to be central bank digital currency all this stuff ties together folks it's unraveling the real history of our country the history that no one knows nor do they want to talk about because it bursts their bubble it bursts their worldview it bursts their normalcy bias and that is very painful but right here on the dust and gold standard i've said it before this is not the red pill this is not the blue pill this is not the black pill this is not the white pill this is the gold pill it is understanding the truth and then beginning to change your life and to go through now this list i presented for the first time tonight to educate insulate separate congregate and and accelerate in the solutions that you are going to put together in your life to be able to live one foot outside of this hellhole we call the prison planet matrix. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. 